Hi there, and thanks for joining us. I'm a little more hushed than normal today because this particular episode is coming from a deconsecrated church, but one that shows that old and new can be combined in such a way that you can not only preserve what went before, but also generate new business. How has this been done? Well, to find out, I've come to Nano Nagel Place. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. And with me now to tell me a little bit more about Nanonagel Place and how it all came about is the CEO, Shane Clark. Shane, how are you? I'm very well. I, it, I'm, it's unusual to have me in hushed tones, but I feel that this particular building uh, is bringing it out in me. Tell everybody where we're standing right now. So we're in the Goldie Chapel in Nanonagel Place, uh, deconsecrated, deconsecrated chapel, and this is where we tell the story of 18th century Cork, Nanonagel and the Presentation Sisters. So this is a kind of an iconic building that's uh, just off Douglas Street uh, in Cork. People will, will be familiar with the red brick, but a lot has changed here over the last few years. What's happened? Well, this is like the, sort of the biggest TARDIS you can imagine. There's a very grand old public uh, primary school on Douglas Street, but behind those walls there's nearly four acres of grounds and a series of buildings stretching from the 18th through the 19th now to the 20th century. And whereas once it was schools and a convent, now it's been repurposed to tell the story of Nanone to open the gardens up with a brilliant restaurant shop and now we're also landlords to UCC and CIT. So in other words, what you've done is you've taken a space that was no longer being used for its original purpose, which was a convent, and made it contemporary and made it more useful in 21st century Cork. Well, indeed, the schools, the demographics in the area are such that they, they ran out to the suburbs, if you like. So the school slows down, and whereas once there was maybe 30 sisters resident here, a very live community, that whittled down to three sisters uh, roaming around a series of very beautiful but run-down buildings. So this is a very pr- a special place for the Presentation Sisters, and it's really a gift from them via way of the company, which I now run, back to the city, and such that Corkonians and visitors can come and see you know, what is really quite an stunning environment in the, in the middle of town in the middle of South Parish. What, what happens with build, buildings like this, historic buildings, is they often run into disrepair, they fall apart, they can't be used, they have to be knocked. A conscious decision was made not to do that here so that it could be repurposed. Oh yes, I think, you know, uh, with a mercantile mind you might look at this and go uh, housing, you might sort of look at development. That was never on the cards. This is a very special place. It's where Nano Nagel, who founded the Presentation Sisters, started off our schools in Cork. So it was always something that they wanted to reinvest in. And it took the vision and considerable amount of money uh, to regenerate the old buildings and to build the new buildings as well. So the deconsecrated church where we're standing right now, I mean, it is, there's no denying it's church. Um, this is now a multi-purpose space. So in other words, it's used to tell the story as part of the Nanonagel Centre. But I've seen events that have been staged here as well. And it is one of a number of locations within the building where events can be staged. So it, it's almost like a little... I, 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 we're not allowed to say the phrase convention centre out loud because it sends shivers down certain spines, but it's almost like a mini convention centre. Well, I suppose the whole complex is a bit like a sort of Italian hilltop town in the middle of Cork. Just within the Goldie Chapel, we have the museum, the Heritage Centre. We had five amazing performances for the jazz here. We've got a bookshop, which is Cork-focused. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the original occupants did not think that there'd be jazz in this particular building. And I did fear for my job on the Monday morning, given that it was a requiem for the truth and a sort of a funeral procession back into the city centre. Um, 
But culture is going to be a big part of what we do here. We've uh, a, a great partnership with East Cork Early Music Festival uh, and more music, more poetry, more short stories, and we're going to have conferences as well. Um, it all adds to the mix as to what is needed to keep uh, what is a very expensive place to run. Your background, I mean, you worked in London, uh, Team London Bridge Business Improvement District Company. That's quite a long title. But, uh, you know, in other words, you, you cut your teeth in a very different part of the world. Where are you from originally? You're, you're not a Cork man, are you? Not? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm uh, Dublin originally, but 20 years in, in London. So half London, half Dublin. So why Cork? I mean, why come back here? Um, myself and the family loved London. We had a great life there, an interesting job there. We lived in a great part of town. I think we always hankered after coming back. Um, it was a case of running to rather than running from. And I think that Dublin would have been the sort of the knee jerk. I, I, I love Dublin. I go to Dublin a lot. Um, and... I looked at Cork and I thought, this is interesting, knew nothing about the city, and then came down and started exploring. And I suppose personally what we did is we're buying into its potential rather than its actuality. And two years in, you know, that's moving in the right direction. So now technically you're a blow-in, you know that, and presuming that phrase has been thrown at you more than once. Uh, I was told when I came here to... Uh, Big up the London story and calm down on the Dublin story. <laughs> exactly. We know our limits there. Yeah. But from that experience in London, and you touched on it there, you touched about the potential of Cork. So you're looking at it from maybe the, the neutral person's viewpoint. Uh, you, you see a lot of potential then for this city. I, th- I think it's an amazing city. Uh, I remember we arrived, myself and my wife, and we stayed in the Montanati before it was done up, and we looked down on the city, uh, you know, a trading city, a city of Georgian, arch- uh, Victorian and modern architecture, and it was rough around the edges and untidy in places, but, you know, the highway engineers haven't ruined it. There's some difficulties in certain places. It's got a great charm, independent retailers. It's always, I think, a great sign in a city when people, you know, Coconians think this is the best place in the world. Um, I think that's a great sign when a city has that much confidence. Sometimes it's overconfident, but unless you have that confidence, I don't think you're a city we're talking about. Let's talk about the business model here, because you have the cafe on site, you have the bookshop, so there's two revenue streams coming in. Then you have the revenue streams coming in from renting the building, uh, which is this School of Architecture and other UCC facilities. So is there, is there enough business being generated here to sustain, as you point out, what is a very expensive project? So we have about a 12-year model, uh, financial model, that keeps it sustainable. A very large part of that is the fantastic move that was made with a, basically a derelict uh, portion of the land to the uh, what's called the Western Apex, or what we call the Western Apex. The company financed and built what is now the School of Architecture for UCC and CIT. So the rent roll from that takes in about 50% of our revenue. No pressure, of course, designing something for the School of Architecture, is there? Uh, So I'm a shoulder of the giants here, so I'm I'm sort of taking over the the baton from others on that side, but uh, I think there were some interesting conversations there. I do know they're very happy in there. Um, You know, they're in the middle of town. It's great to see UCC and CIT come back into town and bring that sort of energy to Douglas Street. Bottom line, this is a building that is open and, and that is, I use the phrase trading in the loosest possible sense. So in other words, people can come in, they can part with the cash if they want it, they can go on a tour. So how do people access it? So a, a very early decision was that the site was going to be open for everybody. And we get the cross-section of Cork in here, we get the cross-section of tourists from around the world. So if you're um, you know, a little old lady who's continually come to Nano's tomb over the years, we want to see you in. If you're somebody who's vulnerable who's going to an education course at the Lantern, we want to make you feel comfortable coming in. If you're an American here on a tour, we want to make you comfortable coming in. Um, so we could have set up a firewall or a paywall at the shop. We have not done that. You, know? uh, you come into our reception, which we've now developed as a cork-focused shop, and you're given a really 
genuine, warm Cork welcome. We've had a lot of uh, reviews on TripAdvisor, and I'm really, really pleased to see actually that the welcome, a really genuine welcome, uh, is what people get when they arrive. Okay, Shane Clark, CEO of the Nanonagle Centre. Thank you very much indeed. I'll go off for a little wander around the building. Great, enjoy yourself. The only show in town for Cork business, Red Business. So we have moved across the courtyard now to Miss Nagel's parlour, which is a very fine room. And to tell me more about what this room was and is now is Dr. Danielle O'Donovan, who is the programme manager here at Nano Nagel Place. Danielle, how are you? I'm delighted to be here. I was in very hushed tones in the chapel. Not so hushed here now, but I still feel the weight of the room on my shoulders. What exactly was this room? So... We're inside the convent that Nano built for the Ursuline sisters in 1771 when she invited them to come over from Paris and help run her schools across the city. And this was their parlour. This was the parlour she designed for them. And it's the one space in the whole complex that we know Nano visited on a really regular basis. She lived on a little, down on Douglas Street in a little cottage and she would pop up here and have tea and she would teach the Ursuline boarding students. So there is a weight of history here. It's a kind of special room for us. You wouldn't get many of them into it. It's quite a small room. Well, actually, that was when the Ursuline sisters arrived and they had come from this enormous kind of city block convent in Paris and they kind of saw what Nano had built for them they were a little shocked and they expanded and expanded and expanded and actually those Georgian buildings at the heart of this site were all built by the Ursuline sisters as they grew and grew. So how old is this particular bit of the building? So Nano started building it in around 1770 and she finished it in 1771 when the Ursulines arrived. So this is the earliest part of the, of the complex. And you can see, and again, obviously it has modern touches, it has electric lighting, for starters, mm-hmm. and it has a lovely radiator on the wall, but the rest of it, it, I mean, it does speak to history. The, the original plasterwork on the ceiling is still there, the walls, when you look at them, aren't as even as they would be today. I mean, is it great to work in an environment like this for someone like you who loves their history? Yeah, I came from a country house charity and this Georgian convent was what made me really excited when I got here because, you know, country houses were for entertaining, they're kind of public buildings. But this is a secret building and how exciting to bring people into a secret building and into a kind of secret space. So this used to be an enclosed convent, this used to be a place where people didn't really come and to throw open the doors and say, come on inside, we're going to go beyond where people could ever go before is lovely. And that Goldie Chapel, as it was called, that we were just speaking to Shane in, that didn't have visitors except for some of the schoolgirls. That was the enclosed order and nobody got in. That was the private chapel, you know, and that's why it keeps that beautiful layout of having the stalls all around the edges. But actually for us now, um, using it as a space for kind of concerts and things, it works really well, you know. And that brings us on to what your job is, apart from the telling the history of this fine establishment, uh, but what you can use the space for today. And, and that is the business angle to keep this building going you need to bring in money so what kind of programs have you managed to put together for Nano Lego Place? Well the aim is to make it kind of vibrant and engaging and exciting and somewhere you want to come and so there are kind of there are layers to the program the presentation sisters have a real emphasis on education so it's education in the broadest sense of the word we have education programs that start for three-year-olds and finish for lifelong learners. Um, and we've been developing those. So that's the kind of learning side of things. Then there's a great cultural side of things, and that Goldie Chapel space is just really magic, and the acoustics are fantastic. So we have cultural events that 
we hope to make money from, like concerts, but also cultural events that are open to the public as well. And then there's a whole uh, side of the programme that's about history. So we had a fantastic lecture last night with um, the Emeritus Professor of Modern History in Trinity, Louis Cullen, about the Nagels and the 18th century. We've got more history talks coming up with Regina Sexton talking about 18th century Christmas food. So there's, you know, there are loads of ways to come and get involved here. That we, we just want people to come and enjoy and explore the space. And... It was, up until a couple of years ago, a relatively dead space. You couldn't get into it, it wasn't being used, it was rather dilapidated. Now that the effort has been put in to restore it, how difficult is it going to be to make sure enough people come here to make it viable? It's, it's an interesting job to be a programme manager because on the one side you're programming everything and you're kind of lining things up and making sure that there's lots happening. But there's a whole other job out there to engage people and pull them in, you know, and there's advertising and there's social media and there's great people like yourself coming and interviewing us and the papers. And um, that job of bringing people into the space is, is a tough job um, and it's hard like I, I came back from holidays and I was walking down you know to work and reflecting to myself am I in a bubble I mean I'm so engaged with it who else knows what's going on you know so you have to kind of have that question with yourself all the time so what's the potential here what do you think this will bloom to be I think it'll bloom to be a, pa- a place that people habitually come whether it's school groups going, well, we're going on our annual trip to Nanonagal Place. I think it's going to be a place where, you know, active retired groups come. It's going to be a place where people have their conferences and they think about first when they're going to have their business meeting. We want it to be a really vibrant space. You know, the Presentation Sisters, Nanonagal, they were they're practical women and they're business women. You know, I think I'm pretty sure that some of the sisters would have been CEOs of a major organisation had they not gone. <laughs> to be but you, you, you're convinced that, that the Ursuline sisters in particular were business women because this was a boarding school that was bringing in the best and the brightest girls from across Cork and beyond. Absolutely. Um, they, and they, you know, they lived in some style. And in their second year here, they had 12 boarders. And it grew and grew and grew. And they outgrew the site and they ended up down in Black Rock. And you will know that enormous building that's down there. And that's apartments now, as opposed to this, which has been preserved as it was originally intended. That's very special, isn't it? That This is kind of the, the heart of the presentation order. And, you know, when it had run into dereliction, there was this question of what will we, you know, what will we do? And I think it's just so exciting that they've decided to kind of give it back to the city in all of the ways in which we're using the site. Well, Danielle, we wish you the very best luck in enticing as many people as possible <laughs> in here. Dr. Danielle O'Donovan, um, thank you so much for joining us. It's almost time for a cup of tea, isn't it? I think it might be time for tea over in the cafe. Let's go. Red Business. Cork's exclusive business podcast. So for our final stop on our trip around Nanonagel Place, we have come to the deli that has the best reputation out of them all in Cork City. And that's amazing considering it's only been here for a very short time. So I'm delighted to be joined in the Good Day Deli by Claire Condon and Kirsten Macereri, who are the partners in the business and the partners in life. Is that fair enough? That's fair enough. That's okay, true. We'll, we'll go. You'll accept that, that particular accolade. Claire, tell me a little bit about the deli, first of all, and how you came up with the idea. So, um, Good Day Deli is a sustainable foods deli, serving a mix of local, seasonal, organic and fair trade foods with a commitment to sustainability across the supply chain, so from sourcing all the way to uh, waste disposal. Um, we, our objective is to empower people with good food choices that boost health and well-being 
elevate local producers, um, champion animal welfare and protect the environment now and for future generations. Uh, I guess how we came up with it is that Mac and I met now nine years ago and uh, ever since we met we both wanted to uh, have our own hospitality business. Um, my background, I'm an environmental economist. I worked um, in the Ministry for the Environment in New Zealand. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Right, I was expecting I came from a background in food or yeah, I was yeah. a chef. Yeah. You were an economist. Yeah, so, so um, like I did my uh, degree in commerce, majored in economics, did my master's in food business and development and did research on, uh, in Kenya on supply chains, livestock and dairy supply chains in Kenya. I went on to work in uh, Dell in uh, global supply chain design, uh, then went on to work as an environmental economist in New Zealand work, work, working on freshwater reform. So all of it is related to like supply chain, which is core to our business, and um, managing the natural environment, managing natural resources. Okay. Now, this, I'm, I'm still waiting for the answer to the question, how did you end up running a cafe? Yeah, so when you say how did we come up with the idea, it was con- kind of... Um, all of it contributed to our desire to get into a food business and also our desire to encourage people to think more about the environmental impacts of their food and across the supply chain. So um, we came up with the idea to set up a cafe, but it's not just about food here. It's kind of using it as a platform to encourage kind of, it's a bit of an airy-fairy word, but conscious consumerism and to encourage people to engage with uh, how their food impacts on the natural environment. Now, Claire, you're from Cork originally. Yeah, from Maddle Farm Road. Uh, Kristen, you're not from Cork originally, so you are uh, no more than Shane earlier on a blow-in. How have you found Cork since you moved here? Yeah, great. So I, I'm a New Zealander with um, Cook Island Heritage, which is a, an island in the Pacific Ocean. Um, first moved here in 2004. Uh, we met worked, here. Oh, you met here? Okay, yeah. I thought you came here through love. He was here already. He was here already. Okay. <laughs> you, he rolled his eyes to heaven for the tape there, but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I came over and then I was working for Friends in Hospitality. They, they have a, a, a hostel and bar on McCurdan Street. Um, and so I was always wanting to I, I enjoyed that part of it of hospitality, interacting with people um, and I had thought of the idea of a cafe as well and then obviously when Claire and I met and we both had the idea um, we just thought it was a perfect kind of business to go into um, but like Claire said, you know, not, it's not just a cafe we were hoping to use it as a medium to uh, to, to promote healthier lifestyles and, and eating and, and, and just for everyone to be uh, a bit more aware about being a conscious cons- consumer. Now, the thing is, you can have lofty ideas all you want in life, but unless people come through the door and like your food, you're going to fail quite quickly. When you put your menu together and you saw the reaction, what was it like? Um, yeah, I guess we were a little bit... Um, we didn't. First of all, we didn't know how successful this cafe in Nanonagel Place would be. I think there was a lot of a lot of people would would have worried about the risk of low footfall because we're not in the middle of the city, um, things like that. Just to say that we are so delighted to be here as well. And, and um, we were when we first learned that we were successful in, in getting the cafe, we were delighted. Uh, but so there was a risk of low footfall, and, of, and as well, even though we don't broadcast this a lot, is that we're mainly vegetarian. We've got about a twenty percent fish, but it's mainly vegetarian. So that as well. But I think the many would say you didn't make it easy for yourself. No, we didn't. But but that's part of it. It's quite a conceptual. There's a lot of there's a whole concept that sits behind this cafe that isn't always very evident. But it's it's all there behind it in our business plan and in how we do things. 
Um, so, so we put, yeah, we, we um, our head chef Charlotte Murphy, who was with us at the time, uh, we sat down, we looked at you know places that inspired us, the kind of food we wanted to bring to the Irish to the Cork market, and um, how we can make it different to other places, so that we would encourage people to make their way up to this cafe in the middle of a beautiful garden, which is a selling point in itself. But you know, to kick it off, um, I think we were really, really supported by the Cork community, and like you said earlier, word of mouth has been very generous to us. Uh, and um, oh, that's really how uh, we were successful in getting busy so quickly. I just want to ask you, Kristen, because you, like many people in Cork, would have come in, walked through the gate of this particular complex, not knowing much of its history. Now you have a business in the centre of that history. What, what was it like learning that story? And, and why having something like this here is so unique, even in a city like Cork? Yeah, well, it was fascinating. Firstly, we came up, I think it was the end of 2016, when we saw the building. Um, it reminded me of buildings, uh, cafes back at home. Um, sort of thought it was a perfect fit. But then, in talking to Shane, the CEO, uh, the, the values uh, that Nano Nagel held and that the, the presentation sisters still guide themselves upon were, were very uh, aligned with us. Um, do with education, um, uh, social inclusion. Um, so they're all things that we're wanting to promote through the cafe as well. Uh, so we're really excited by uh, by that opportunity. Um, and I still need to learn a lot more about the, the history of the site and Nana Nago herself, but she seems like a uh, for her time, three centuries ago, an absolutely progressive woman, and that's what we're wanting to be here with the cafe and the kind of food and the menu that we deliver, um, but, but also the message that, that we're hoping to, to put out there as well. Um, so you, you mix tourist trade with local trade. Uh, we're here in November, not a particularly nice morning. It's, it's kind of half raining, but but may do more. Is it seasonal? Are you going to be? Are you going to struggle with seasonality? Be very busy in the summer months, a little quieter during the winter months. Are, are you confident that? You know, you have a year-round business here. Yeah, I think we have a year-round business. I think there'll be dips in trade. Uh, like, we opened in December of last year. We had our soft launch on the, from December 14th last year. But from January onwards, as a new business, and not having done a huge amount of uh, traditional marketing, we were on, very active on social media, uh, we were kept going through from January to, to March, and then once April hit, we, were, we got busier and busier, uh, all the way until October. It's only been in the last two weeks of November that we've been quieter, but I, it's a general trend throughout the hospital or food industry anywhere that November is a quieter month people have just had their uh, well especially in Cork the jazz weekend and they're saving for Christmas so no I think we have a I think we're lucky that we have probably a year round business here well we can only wish you the very best of luck it is nestled beautifully in the garden at Nano Nagel Place so I'd say thank you to Claire Condon and Kristen Macareri and uh, the best of luck and the food looks great thank you so much Jonathan nice one Jonathan my thanks to Shane and Danielle, to Claire and to Kristen. Don't forget you can subscribe to Red Business on iTunes and download them all from redfm.ie. Neil Hennessy produced, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.